This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We're not just embarking on a new year, but a brand new decade. So it is a time of reflection and to think back on the decade that was and what was important to us or influenced us. Joining me to talk about the trends of the tens is Ellen Roseman, a freelance journalist specializing in consumer advocacy and personal finances and a former Toronto Star consumer columnist. I'm sure you've read her before. Ellen, welcome. Thanks, Jane. So I guess regardless of the year or the decade, being an educated consumer is always the best choice of action. Absolutely. I spent a heck of a lot of time, both at 20 years at the Star and 20 years at the Globe and Mail, trying to educate people about consumer issues. But there's a limit to how much you can keep ahead of the trends because they're always running faster than we are. So I think the best uh, solution is to try and keep your defenses up, never trust too many people. You know, uh, you can't trust someone when they're living depends on their believing something that may or may not be true. And uh, just, uh, you know, try and look at what could be the, the downside of this, not always looking at the upside. Right. I, and I'd like you, our Zoomer radio listener, to weigh in on this conversation as well. Think back uh, from 2010 until, um, well, today is the last day of 2019. What consumer choices did you make that you're happy about, that changed your life for the better, that you plan to continue maybe into the 2020s, or that didn't work out and you've left behind? 416 or toll-free one 866 44, 740. Ellen, you've been kind enough to jog our memory and uh, list the 10 consumer trends from 2010 to 2019. Number one on the list is cell phones. Yes, if there was one constant that I was writing about all the time, it was the cost of having a cell phone. You know, we're all buying them. Even many of your listeners have maybe not a smartphone, but they've got a phone. We, we can't live without our phones. And they're getting better. There's more features. We're taking better pictures. We're putting them on Instagram. All that stuff is great. But when it comes to the cost of owning a cell phone, your monthly plan, Canada pays more than most other countries. There's actually an article in the Toronto Star about that today. And even though we're paying less in Canada, the gap is still wide between what we're paying and what people are paying for their cell phones in other countries. Yes. And over the past 10 years, if you remember, Stephen Harper was trying to bring in more competition. We almost got an American company, Verizon, to come here. And at the last minute, they they didn't. And we've lost some companies. We never have real competition because we've got basically in the cell phone market, four or five um, national providers, and that's it. Um, And not all of them are in Ontario. In Ontario, we really just have Bell, uh, Rogers, and um, TELUS. So uh, what do we do? Um, During the last election, Justin Trudeau actually talked about getting a 25% cut in cell phone rates. But I don't know if that will happen. I mean, how can it happen if you've got these monopolies who are really good at lobbying? So I don't know what the solution is. But I think that in general, we should try and 
cut our costs as much as possible through the marketplace by going to some of the discount brands of the big providers. So you're talking about maybe like I'm thinking of Freedom Mobile. Yes. As an example. So uh, when you uh, when you shop around or you begin the process of, of saying, you know what, I'm paying too much for my data, What? how do you advise people go about that process to reduce their monthly cell phone costs? They have to make sure that they're getting the right information about their data, that there's a plan where if they go over a certain amount, uh, they'll know right away, uh, maybe that they can put in their own kind of meter to see how much data they're using. And then look for companies that have unlimited data, some do and some don't, because if you tend to come very close to your data limit, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Or if necessary, just go up to the next level. Um, and, And also, it can be quite confusing when you're buying a new phone to figure out what is the cost, because sometimes it's subsidized, often it's subsidized but then you're paying a higher rate. So, you know, you go online, there's some great sites that help you compare. And sometimes you even, if you have a more complicated situation, you can get someone to negotiate on your behalf. And what they do is that they take the first few months of savings that they achieve for you. And then after that, you get the rest of the savings. How negotiable is the cell phone rate? So you're on the phone with Rogers or Bell even. And can you negotiate to bring that monthly charge down? Absolutely. But it gets confusing. And And um, sometimes you need uh, a strong voice on your side. Many people find it intimidating. In fact, seniors in particular uh, don't like negotiating, so they tend to take the rate that's offered. But with cell phones and with telecom in general, which includes internet and um, uh, television rates, you can negotiate and you should negotiate probably once a year, maybe every six months. That's what your kids do, your, your millennial kids. And I think that for many of us, we should ask our kids to call and try and get the best deal for us. It and does to call a few times. Too. It does work. I've been with the same provider for a long time, and I always pull my loyalty card when I'm talking to them. You know, I've got four or five services with you. I go all the way back to 1986. They look back, and you know, you, you think about the money that you've spent with them. And I do find that you can, if if the person on the phone doesn't negotiate with you, you can escalate the call and ask to speak with their supervisor. And generally, you can see it seems as so you can work out a lower deal. Yes, the loyalty card really helps. If you don't know how long you've been, ask them to check because they will. And often they'll say, that's longer than, I, than since I've been born. I had that said to me once. <laughs> yeah, But it's important because they know that there's a lot of people who switch readily so they can get them there, but then they disappear. Whereas the uh, more senior customers tend to be more loyal, but they're not going to stay forever unless you offer them more competitive rates. Uh, I want Just before we move on from cell phones being uh, uh, on the top 10 consumer trends from 2010 to 2019, um, the technology in the cell phone. I, I think back and it's just it's it has been 10 years since I got my daughter her very first cell phone. She was 13 at the time. This was one of those old fashioned, I mean, not like the brick ones from the 80s, but they were, you know, it was like a Nokia and it just had uh, the numbers and a very archaic kind of little screen where you could text. <laughs> and you think about what we're using now. Yes, it's uh, somebody called it a pants computer <laughs> because you're carrying the equivalent of a computer inside your pants pocket or your your purse, and it's so powerful. And you can live without a laptop. A lot of kids, I think, don't even need a laptop. They certainly don't even use printers because it's all on the phone and it's become the most convenient device. And for people even to switch off for a day 
can be a real huge sacrifice. And Ellen, you don't need cameras anymore. You don't need a, you don't need to take your camera with you on vacation. At some point, that changed over in the last ten years. Yeah, in fact, I think out of all the uh, advances in cell phones, the cameras are the most sensitive to quality. They're getting better, 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 and often now you're getting two or three cameras inside your device. We're with Ellen Roseman here talking about the top trends of the tens as we get set to move into the twenties tonight at midnight. Uh, number two on your list, airlines and. You reference in April of 2017, it's hard to believe it was two and a half years ago, but a man was dragged off and overbooked United Airlines flight in the U.S. We all remember that. How did that change um, our rights as passengers, that particular incident? Well, in Canada, for the past 10 years, maybe longer, governments have talked about introducing an airline passenger's bill of rights because it wasn't clear. We've got a number of airlines and they all had different policies and we didn't feel that there was much effective enforcement of it. So um, once that video went viral and that poor man who was just in in such terrible shape um, got pulled off, we all started saying, what do we have in Canada? And we realized we had nothing because no legislation had been passed. And so the Trudeau government started working on it. They went through several stages. Uh, It passed through Parliament and it came into force July 1st of this year and the last bit December 15th of this year. So we have the rights now. They're not as strong as many consumer advocates would have liked, but we have something. But the next phase is to try and tell average Canadians, these are your rights and here's how to enforce them. Like you have to go to your airline if you feel that they're not treating you properly. And then afterwards, you can go to the Canadian Transportation Agency. But there's still a big education job that has to be done. So that that is the website to go to, the Canadian Transportation Agency, to see your list of rights. Yes. Okay, that's good. Banks, the big five, you say, are stronger than ever. And what maybe a lot of people don't realize that you've seen the ads on television for Tangerine. That's owned by Scotiabank. And PC Financial is now simply owned by CIBC. I bet a lot of people don't realize that. Yes, PC Financial kept their credit card operation because it ties in with their points. But the banking is simply. And um, so these are not really independent competitors. They're owned by the bigger banks. And if you talk to Tangerine customers, they probably will say that things have changed since Scotiabank took over. In particular, I remember that they used to have a a tax-free savings account with no charges when you moved it, and now there's charges to leave. So um, the big banks are very powerful. We have a love-hate relationship as Canadians with them. We, We distrust them. We feel that they're not offering us the best deal. We're really upset about nickel and diming service charges mm-hmm. of all kinds, like the, the TFSA exit fee. But on the other hand, we're a little nervous about leaving them because we're not sure about their new competitors whose names we might not recognize. How safe is our money? Will they go out of business? You know, we trust the big banks to be staying in business because if Royal Bank, which is the biggest, went out of business, probably the whole economy would go under, would be going under at the same time. So... Um, What banks do, we think of them as our friends. They're giving us recommendations in our best interest. CIBC, uh, they have a show called Go Public. They did a hidden camera investigation in branches, and they found that that a lot of people who go in for some specific product or service end up with something else added to it. They call that upselling, and it happens a lot. And they publicized this. I remember TD stock went down quite a bit on the first day, but then they realized that all the banks were doing it. And the bank staff complained quite loudly about it, saying that they felt that they could not get a promotion or sometimes even their job was in jeopardy unless they met a certain kind of sales quota. 
Right. So you have to be very cautious. And in the same way you negotiate with the cell phone companies, you can negotiate uh, reduced service fees with your bank. Yes. Again, you say, how long have I been with you? It's even more pronounced with banks. We tend to stay with the same bank we've been with our whole life. It just seems like a pain to move. So um, ask them how long we've been there. Tell them that if we don't have all our business with them. We might move something over there or we might get our kids to open an account of some kind, a mortgage or an RSP, and they're ready to give you a deal. Now, retailing. This is very interesting. We are losing department stores, you point out, and that is very true. There really is, when you think about department stores in Canada, really, it's just the bay. Yeah, we lost Sears a couple of years ago, and that was surprising, too, because it went down in Canada before the U.S., and they were selling extended warranties on their appliances and their electronics right up until the end, and people were not able to use those warranties. So I was recommending that people go to their um, credit card company and ask them to give them a pro-rata refund, and a lot of them did, because, you know, this was a purchase they couldn't use. But it just reminds us that many, many... Retailers are vulnerable because department stores are seen as too general and not in-depth. But even the specialty companies are going under. The latest one that I remember is Forever 21, which yes. was all across Canada. Yes, and Target did not do well in Canada no. either. I think that was uh, stillborn because the prices were never as good as in the U.S. and people right. didn't really like them. Right, And but the Bay, the ownership is changing shortly. Yes, there's a, a, a stock market kind of competition to see who will end up buying it. And the Bay in general, has been losing money. I, You know, I like shopping there because you get great deals, but it's really hard sometimes to find anybody to take your money. And the service has never been their strong point. And, That's interesting. That's very true. Yeah, and they have been cutting back on the number of stores they have. Right. And it's so easy now to shop online at the Bay. Yes. And they, I mean, they pump out emails. If you're on their mail out, uh, you, you're getting two or three a day, it seems like. Yeah. But when you're shopping online, probably the place that most people go because it's just perfected it is Amazon. Okay. Amazon.ca and it's easy to get these deliveries. Uh, my son used to work at King and used to live at King and uh, John in Toronto and he said there was a shopper's drug mart a block away but every day there'd be big deliveries of toilet paper and toothpaste and you know people just find it's so convenient but on the other hand it is causing a lot of you know chaos in the city with so much home delivery and people are finding sometimes that the stuff that's left on their doorstep gets stolen you know there's a big case of that uh, recently in Toronto and uh, the star had someone drive a a truck around as an Amazon driver and you know it's part of the economy where you get your food from Uber Eats or door delivery, door whatever they're called, and um, it's just causing a lot of congestion in the city. Do you think um, in terms of the retailers that have come to Canada, primarily from the U.S. over the last 10 years, are they here to stay? I think about Nordstrom's as an example, Saks Fifth Avenue, those kinds of places. They're definitely at the higher end. I think especially um, Saks Fifth Avenue, are there enough you know, high-income people in, in Canada to uh, make it profitable? Even Nordstrom can be fairly expensive. But there's other, like, like Costco, that's very popular, and those stores are jammed, especially at this time of oh, year. Oh, Costco, there's always a lineup. Yeah. Always, yes. Yeah. And, and, and they have a very good house brand, too, Kirk, Kirkfield, and right. a lot of people like it. Kirkland. Kirkland, yes. Kirkland. I buy their coffee, actually. Yes. Their coffee is not bad. And Walmart has succeeded very well in Canada as well. That's true. Uh, food. Uh, when we're entertain, let's talk about entertaining yeah. trends. That's on your list as well. You point out that in 2010, it was easier to entertain because everyone ate the same thing. 
more or less. Yeah. <laughs> you always had people who had a peanut allergy or something. But today, many people seem to have food allergies or they just stay away from gluten because they heard it wasn't that healthy. So they want their gluten-free items. They want vegan, vegetarian, organic, low-fat, low-sugar. There's so many food preferences. So I guess that is a big thing. Are people entertaining less, do you think? Having people to their homes less? Meeting at restaurants more because then you can tailor order what you want? Well, I don't know if that's happening, but it's getting more complicated. And maybe when you're entertaining at home, it's easier to have a potluck where people can bring their own special dishes. Right. So that you can enjoy each other's company, but uh, everybody can bring what they want to eat. Um, another item on your, and we're halfway through here, of the top consumer trends of the tens, investing. Um, and we we mentioned about the big banks and having to push to make sure that you're not overly service charged. But if you're investing, and, and a lot of people in the Zoomer age group have invested in mutual funds, yes. is that, that was really a big trend during the 10s. And during the 10s, the bank grew to be dominant mutual funds. There used to be more independent companies. Now the big five are the big five mutual fund providers. But they're expensive because you pay an annual uh, fee for management and expenses that's in the neighborhood of 2 to 2.5% a year, and that really adds up over the long run. And they say it's because you're getting advice, but you're not always getting advice. Often you're just getting sales pressure. So we've seen a rise in uh, lower-cost products, especially exchange-traded funds, which are uh, much lower cost. We've had Vanguard Canada move in here, and Vanguard is a low-cost provider in the U.S., and they forced all the Canadian ETF providers. So the cost of some of these ETFs is close to zero. And uh, Questrade, which is a discount broker, we've seen those commercials. Yes, and uh, the commercials where they say, I can't afford to raise my daughter and pay you your yeah, fees. they're how, very how, clever. They're clever, but how realistic is that? Is that are we really... Are they really um, offering services with far less fees than some of the, the main uh, investors? Well, Questrade is a discount broker which caters to do-it-yourself investors. So it's not realistic for most Canadians to do it yourself, though I do it and some people do, but I've, I've had a background in investing. But they're also now doing something where they manage your whole portfolio online for a fee of less than 1% a year, which is cheaper than um, mutual funds. So Questrade has it. Wealth Simple is the best-known one. They advertise like crazy. They've got money from Power Corporation. They're doing okay. And there's like 15 or so in the what they call robo-advisor field. But they're not really making inroads with the big banks because the big banks are really into wealth management. That's where they see their profit because it's it's a good fee for them. So they, they push that a lot. So it'll be interesting to see this year. And I think last year too, ETFs sold more than mutual funds. So they're growing, but the assets are still small. It's been 10 years since the tax-free savings account was introduced in Canada. It seems like, uh, I mean, the, it's been around for a long time, and, and it's become so flexible, you say, to the point where people are investing in their TFSA, possibly over mutual funds. Over RSPs. Over RSPs, yes. yes. Right. The RSP has been around forever, uh, 40 years or so, but uh, you, you get a big uh, you know, tax saving when you put the money in, but then you have to pay a lot of tax. 
taxes when you take it out. And the reason for the TFSA was that some people got into retirement and their income was very low and then they were taking out this money after age 71 from their RIF, at which, which they have to do it at that age, and finding that they were losing their old age security and it was really hurting them. So the tax-free savings account is more flexible. A lot of millennials like it because their income isn't high, so they don't really need the tax deduction. And you can take out money at any time from your TFSA because you've already paid the tax on the money that goes in. That's right, yes. What I like is when you look at the amount of money in your TFSA, you know that every single penny in that account is yours. When you look at your RSP, probably 25 to 40% of it goes to the government. Right, because that money still needs to be taxed. But the good thing about the RSP is that you get that money back every year when you file your taxes. So I guess it's, you know, whatever your preference is, or maybe you do a little bit of both. Yeah, and uh, if you want to really benefit from the RSP, you should take the windfall and put it back into your RSP. RSP or into some other tax shelter, but not everybody does that because it's found money. A lot of people, Ellen, might not realize that although the TFSA limit for this coming year is $6,000, if you've never opened a plan, you can maximize the full amount. Yes, which is $69,500. If you happen to have that lying around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. You can put it all in a TFSA. And also, if you take money out of your TFSA, you can then put it in to the amount that you are allowed to contribute. Big topic of discussion in Toronto uh, over the last 10 years has been housing, the cost of buying a house or a condo. Uh, Hard to believe, but the cost has actually stabilized after going up in leaps and bounds. Uh, does Does that depend on when you say stabilized, does that mean that the increase every year is the same or it's leveled off? It's leveled off. You still hear about uh, auctions, you know, where the, uh, you got lots of multiple bidders, but that tends to be only the glamour properties on the beach or, you know, in a, a luxury condo. Many uh, houses sit around for months and, you know, it, they do take a little bit of a, a cut. So um, it's not going up as quickly as it was, but it's high. It's very high. Toronto, On a, I saw on a list of worldwide cities, we're number 37th. So we're competing against a lot of other cities and we're still right up there. And then on the other hand, rentals are all also really expensive. You have to show your credit score. You're competing with a bunch of people just to rent a place. Mm-hmm. And there's a shortage of rental units because for the longest time, it was more profitable to build condos than rentals. But I think that's changing finally. And what would you suggest if somebody is getting into a mortgage, a younger person, uh, do they go for the variable rate mortgage based on the fact that we've seen historically low interest rates for so long? Or should we plan for the future and get a longer term? I think for the average uh, younger buyer, it's probably better to fix the rate, maybe for three years rather than five years Mm -hmm. if you can. But it's so uncertain what's going on with interest rates. In general, the trend has been down, but we don't know for sure. And I spoke to someone recently who just bought in the past year or two, and she's had a couple of rate increases with her variable rate, and she's not very happy about it. We have to kind of crunch the next two together because we're running out of time, but online fraud and class action lawsuits became quite prominent in the tens. Yeah, this is kind of the downside of the last 10 years. Um, a surge lately, especially, of robocalls and people calling us trying to tell us that we owe money to the government and taxes or that we our credit card's been involved with online fraud and we have to... Um, Um, uh, buy gift cards and 
be able to check. You know, I mean, that very strange stories. And but they can just bombard us with the calls. And even if a tiny little percentage believes them, they can make a lot of money. So they're calling us all the time. It used to be only on our landline, but now they call our cell phones as well. So we always have to tell people, be really careful because there are so many sophisticated scams out there and never uh, agree to anything unless you hang up and think about it or call the person involved if, they, if it's your grandchild supposedly calling from Montreal yes. after they've been in a car accident. So just don't, don't be too trusting because those scammers are very convincing. They can be. We've talked about that a lot here on Fight Back and the class action lawsuits are related in a way uh, because the, the your data, your personal data gets hacked and somebody gets access to it. Yes, and uh, the, the most recent one was Life Labs and that would, uh, your audience can all relate to that because you had to go online to order to get your individual results. Um, There's now a class action lawsuit. Somebody asked, how do they join? Well, it's really, really early. It usually takes a couple of years for a class action lawsuit to be certified to go ahead. But we've had a number of them. One of the best ones was DRAM, which is some kind of computer chip. Uh, It was a price-fixing class action. It was easy to get $20. You didn't even have to give a receipt. And they gave out $80 million to consumers in the form of a $20 check. And uh, there was also a gas lawnmower price-fixing class action, and we're still waiting for the Loblaws right. red price fixing, which is in the class action, but that could take quite a while for anything to come of that. Ellen Roseman, where can we find you these days as we wrap up our segment here? I have a website, ellenroseman.com. Uh, I have an email, ellen at ellenroseman.com, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook, and I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thank you. Thank you for the look back at the consumer trends of the chance. It was great to talk with you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.